Hello, hello. I'm Andrew Sweatman, and you're listening to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house indie and classic cinema accessible to the masses. Emphasis on the classic as we continue our series on classic film essentials. Think of this as a starter pack for classic movies. We're digging into six different films, taking a look at the films themselves and the filmmakers, along with some historical context, all made for the total beginner. So if you're a newbie to old Hollywood, you're in the right place. My guest for this series is the classic Hollywood expert and film writer, Rance Collins, and he's back again today for our look at the 1944 Billy Wilder film, Double Indemnity. Now, really quick, I usually give a little update at the top of the show for the Arkansas listeners about film events coming up here in the natural state. As we are in the middle of a global health crisis because of the coronavirus, nearly all the events have been postponed or canceled. So instead, I'll say, stay inside, watch some movies, and sign up for the Art House Garage monthly email newsletter if you need some movie recommendations. Okay, back to the film at hand. Double Indemnity is a gritty crime story about an insurance salesman, played by Fred McMurray, who falls in love with a married woman, played by Barbara Stanwyck, and the two of them cook up a murder plot to collect life insurance money on her husband. It's very dark, it's very thrilling, it's pretty sexy, and it's incredibly well made. Rance and I do not spoil the ending of this film, so feel free to listen in whether you've seen it or not. And with that, here is our discussion of the 1944 classic, Double Indemnity. I killed Dietrichson. Me, Walter Neff, insurance agent, 35 years old, unmarried, no visible scars. Until a while ago, that is. Yeah, I killed him. I killed him for money and for a woman. It all began last May. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. And I wanted to see her again, close, without that silly staircase between us. How could I have known that murder can sometimes smell like honeysuckle? I can't stand it anymore. What if they do hang me? They're not going to hang you, baby. It's better than going on this way. They're not going to hang you. Because you're going to do it and I'm going to help you. Welcome back once again, Rance Collins, to Art House Garage. How are you? Great. How are you? Doing quite well. Um, today we're discussing Double Indemnity, which is uh, a great movie directed by Billy Wilder and uh, one that I'd actually wanted to watch for a long time. Um, I've seen, I think, three other Billy Wilder movies and love each of them. Uh, one of them is The Apartment, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Honestly, it's in yeah. the top 10. I really, really love it. And then um, Sunset Boulevard I'd seen, as well as Some Like It Hot, the hilarious Marilyn Monroe oh comedy. my god I saw one that one grades. in high school and was just like oh my gosh people were making jokes about this stuff in the 50s that's <laughs> a it's a great movie if you haven't seen it um but this one double indemnity is, is pretty different than the rest of those although there are some common threads I was able to kind of see a little bit um just kind of his work through the years uh this one is earlier than all three of those others I think this one was 1944 so yeah, one of his yeah. early ones and so a question I actually have for you. So this is a film noir, um, which actually mm-hmm. on a previous episode of Art House Garage, we kind of broke down what that is with, with another guest like a year ago. So 
listeners go back and, and hear that. But basically, film noir <laughs> is um, uh, crime stories, very dark, uh, moody, and um, noir is the word French word for black. So it's black and white. There's a lot of black on the screen. It's kind of mm-hmm. where that comes from, right? Um, yes. My question is, this one seems a bit unusual because typically when I think of film noir, it's things like Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep, um, where you have like a detective or uh, someone who's like a, a police figure is sort of the main character. And uh, that's mm-hmm. not the case here. So I didn't know if that was really unusual or if that's if film noir is just bigger than I my understanding of it. Uh, w- was that an unusual thing to your knowledge about this movie? Well, you have to keep in mind that... Um the term for these films didn't exist when they were being Mm. made. Yes. Um, So Mm. they weren't working within tropes as they were making them. Something we've constructed Uh, later to explain them. Interesting. Um, To explain the, the movement. Um, And with that said, the Fred McMurray character, which we'll explain in a second, does act in a similar position that a detective or police officer might. Yeah, that's true. And we also do have a, another character who works with Fred Mark McMurray played by Edward G. Robinson, Hmm. who um, is uh, actively acting as a detective Hmm. throughout the entire story. So, um, so the placeholder for that character still exists. Um, but there are plenty of noir films, films that are categorized within the category um, that go outside of that detective mm. uh, convention. And there's even a few, um, one of which is called uh, Lever to Heaven, mm. uh, which are in color. Oh, so, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and I know like a modern film uh, that's sort of playing with the genre is uh, Ryan Johnson's Brick which is like mm-hmm. a high school story, but it's like noir in that it's you know, slow and moody and, and all of that, even though it's also in color. So that was I just learning about that because I'd seen that movie before I really knew what film noir was. But anyway, that's a good movie too. Yes. Um, but yeah, and so, so Fred McMurray too surprised me because he as the lead character is the criminal. Uh, and and I, I was expecting mm-hmm. you know our lead to be trying to figure things out. Um but yeah, so I guess let's talk that about... That is a spoiler, by the way. We're, you're going to know that pretty yes, quick. Yes, that's true. That's, you find <laughs> that out from the very beginning. Um, so a little bit of the plot is that uh, Fred McMurray is an insurance an insurance man, um, salesman. Mm-hmm. And um, he... Uh, we, we learn a lot about insurance and how it worked in the 50s, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but 40s, 40s. 40s, yes, 40s. Yes. Sorry. Um, but he meets pretty early on Barbara Stanwyck and they immediately start kind of flirting. Um, she's a married woman. And mm-hmm. he's uh, trying to tell, sell insurance to her husband. Correct. Uh, who she does not have a good relationship with. Yes. Um, he finds that out pretty quickly, too. So he first shows up and meets her. He's gone. And she's in a towel, having just gone out of the shower or something. So it, it's pretty sexy right at the beginning, too, where uh, like it sets up that the tension between them pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, basically a plot to murder her husband and collect insurance, uh, life insurance, accident insurance on his death, um, sort of scheme. Which is where the title comes from. It's a double indemnity clause, Mm. which means that you get twice the payout in a freak accident, basically. Yes. So they want to stage a freak accident. Uh, And meanwhile, you have his coworker uh, who you mentioned, 
who is Edward G. Robinson. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is Barton Keyes. Um, he is uh, the investigator, basically, for a lot of these incidents, and he feels like something's fishy, and he's trying to figure it out. Um, I should yes. mention this actually opens after the husband yeah. after the husband gets killed. So yes. the movie is not building up to the husband and getting killed. That's like. Right. That's like the first big thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes know. from there. And then and after that happens, you got Edward G. Robinson trying to figure out why this, you know, because they're the insurance company. They don't want to pay, mm-hmm. pay out all that money. Yeah. And Fred McMurray playing both sides and the incredible tension that that, that draws up. It really, I think uh, Hitchcock it came into my brain several times, like the way mm-hmm. the tension is built in these really suspenseful scenes. Uh, but I should yeah. mention too, this, the, the construct of the movie is that, we very we we start with him driving through the streets crazy because he's been shot, and he gets to this recording tape recorder thing in Ray's office, and he is giving narration for the movie and confessing to the crime, uh, and saying here's exactly what happened, uh, and so it's like flashing back. So you know from the beginning that something has gone wrong, and to, to the mm-hmm. point that he's confessing, and so you're always waiting for that to happen too. So I I think just on that storytelling level, it's really strong and because and, it keeps you guessing, but also lets you in on certain pieces of it. Yeah. So that's kind of how the movie plays out. Uh, yeah. Again, without spoiling the ending, because there's a lot of twists and turns at the end there. Um, and it has all the, you know, you mentioned the narration, which is one of the, the big tropes of a, of mm-hmm. a film noir. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has the femme fatale, uh, Barbara Stanwyck plays uh, Phyllis Dietrichson, who is the um, who is the character, the wife we've been talking about this yes. whole time. Um, and <laughs> she's probably the best she, performer in this movie, too. I should say she is genius um, mm-hmm. in the movie. She did get nominated for the film. Um, didn't want to play the role. Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck has a really great career. She um, she comes on really strong in the early sound films, probably because she has a great voice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and she uh, she got known for playing hard boiled uh, characters in the early 30s. Um, she's in a movie I referenced a few weeks ago called uh, Babyface, mm-hmm. uh, one of the great pre-code films. And um, and she branched out and did some really great serious work, including a movie called Stella Dallas. And um, she was in a wonderful movie written by Billy Wilder uh, called Ball of Fire, um, which uh, this was Billy Wilder writing before he started directing. And uh, the she got nominated for that film. She's also in a cup uh, in one of the great uh, Preston Sturges comedies, um, The Lady Eve. Um, and then later on, she would uh, transition to television and get an Emmy not M- Emmy award and for the f- uh, TV show The Big Valley, which was a western. Oh, yeah. She made a lot of westerns in her career as well, which makes sense because she's kind of a tough broad. Yeah, and very um, tough character in this movie. Yes, um, did not usually play evil people. Hmm. Um, in any way, yeah. she's in a great Christmas movie called Christmas in Connecticut. Um, yeah. She was in the miniseries the thorn birds which was one of the great you know 80s miniseries when that was a huge thing mm-hmm. um so she had a career that lasted almost up until her death and she continued knocking out great performances all the way through yeah she has um, imdb credits all the way till 1986 
Yes. And she didn't win an Academy Award, but she did get an honorary award. Hmm. Um, and uh, she was also married um, to Robert Taylor, who was a big leading man at MGM for 12 or 13 years. Hmm. And uh, there are a lot of rumors that that marriage was uh, constructed to cover up Barbara Stanwyck's sexuality ah, um interesting. but uh that is unsubstantiated and i cannot <laughs> make any comments oh, that have, those have all been rumors after the fact so i can't i have a lot of things to google now and yes <laughs> dig into this conspiracy because that's fascinating uh, uh-huh, yeah. really quickly but she is yeah. a great actress and she made a lot of really great movies so i was gonna um, ask baby face sure. is the one you mentioned before where she's like sleeping mm-hmm. her way up the corporate ladder right Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So she uh, um, yeah has quite a career, yeah. and uh, she's really great in this. Yeah, as I mentioned, really tough, but also, um, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, she's in on this conspiracy, and then, yeah, not a not a very honorable character, perhaps. Neither of the leads are here. Uh, no, we do not have good guys reading leading this one. Yeah, which is part of the thing I think that makes it so fascinating is you're yeah. you're cheering on a crime through the first part of the movie. You're cheering on them murdering this man. And the, um, the scene where he is killed, Mm. um, which is done. The husband is killed, which is done in a close up on Barbara Stanwyck's face. Barbara Stanwyck is not actually participating in the killing itself, but she's feet away. Yeah, she is feet away and you're just on her face while it happens it's one of the most chilling things yeah i wrote that in my notes like oh my gosh this is like the moment of the movie um because yeah her, her performance is fantastic in that moment um, yes yeah it's really great uh so dark it's so dark it really is i was um, shocked at how dark it is there and then continues to get um even more so um and yeah. you know we we talked last week a lot about about the dialogue in all about eve this is another any movie with Billy Wilder directing and writing is going to have great dialogue. Um, but whenever you first meet them and he's doing his sales sales pitch, mm-hmm. um, there's this really great sequence of lines um, where they're flirting basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says something like, how fast was I going? Yes. And <laughs> yeah. she, she says, she, he, she says something like uh, there's speed, speed limit in this taste. Mm-hmm in the state 45 miles per hour um how fast was i going like she says like about 70 90. yeah say about 90 <laughs> and he's like why don't you step off your motorcycle and give me a ticket and then like yeah it just keeps going and you're like i think i need to take a shower <laughs> yeah. like why <laughs> yeah it's it's Is wild this dialogue so sexy mr meff why don't you drop by tomorrow evening around 8 30 he'll be in then Ooh. my husband you were anxious to talk to him, weren't you? Yeah, I was, but uh, I'm sort of getting over the idea, if you know what I mean. There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket. Suppose I let you off with a warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. Suppose I have to whack you over the knuckles. Suppose I bust out crying and put my head in your shoulder. In an evil way, it's like the most yeah. evil, sexy dialogue you've ever heard. Dark and sexy. And I didn't expect, uh, I mean, again, 
still learning about this time period, but I haven't seen that many things with, I guess, like an anti-hero uh, in the way this has, like uh, you're cheering on these people. And, and it's almost a question of at what point do you stop rooting for the bad things they're doing? Um, and it's probably yeah. different for everyone, but that's an interesting thing. Um, well, um, and keep in mind, we're in a period because of the production code, there is a very, very clear rule in mm. the production code where you can't get away with a crime. Mm. Um, your, your characters have to, pay the price yeah. and so i mean in a must, way that, must come in yeah in the way that does take the air out of the suspense i guess if you know that going from the start but <laughs> yeah um but you also know from the start that something bad has happened to yeah. fred mcmurray's character mm-hmm. you know fred mcmurray also had a pretty lengthy career but i feel like most people if they know him they may know him from his tv show uh my three sons okay which uh was on was on tv land when i was growing up it it lasted for it's like a tv show that lasted like 12 years in the 60s Hmm. um so obviously it wasn't just the 60s if it lasted 12 years Hmm. but um (laughs) till 72 looks like yeah (laughs) yeah i think it was uh and he was like like apparently really difficult with the shooting of that tv show he required Hmm. he was the star the lead but he had to have all of his scenes shot in one day and so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they spent one day just shooting shots with him and then they would shoot the rest of the scene that he was also in wow. without him that's in the <laughs> ensuing days yeah. um but he you know he was a movie star so he could get away with it but he also um he's also uh in the apartment yes uh, i just Jerry realized that. Film. yeah he's one of the shady business he, guys he plays a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because he didn't usually play a, a bad guy in films. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just happens that we we think about that. But he was also in The Absent-Minded Professor, a Disney film. Yeah, I was just um, seeing that. It's weird to see him smiling on the poster. <laughs> like, I know. He was happy in that. And uh, The Kane Mutiny is a great, uh, mm-hmm. it's a great little movie. Um, he was uh, in uh, The Absent-Minded Professor, of course, uh, becomes... Uh, it's the basis, or it was remade as a Flubber. Flubber, yeah. So Son yeah. of Flubber was a sequel to that original. Yeah, and then he's in. Robin Williams was in the movie Flubber the, uh, in 90s, the 90s, remember, yeah. which was a remake, yeah. Um, so uh, he had a pretty uh, extensive career, and he actually made other movies with Barbara Stanwyck that were like mm-hmm. romantic comedies. Interesting. So. <laughs> yeah, they certainly have chemistry. Um, that's really interesting. They do. They um, do. A romantic comedy seems like a leap watching this movie. But, absolutely. Especially, you know. like, so you mentioned, like, feeling like you need to take a shower, like, the way it ends, like, which like, I won't spoil, but, so you know something's going to go wrong, but just, like, how dark and how twisty is this going to get, and uh, it's pretty <laughs> rough at the end there. <laughs> like, oh, my it gosh. Is, um, yes. It is, it, if you're, it gets as dark and twisted as it can get. It, yeah. like it takes you all the way to the edge. Um, yeah. And gosh, Barbara Stanwyck is such a good femme fatale in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, there's so, you never are 100% sure what's going on in her head. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many images of her in this movie that come to mind. Um, she wears this kind of like not great wig the whole movie. And yet <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of works in a weird way. Um, and, uh, she has these like heart, uh, sunglasses that she wears in a grocery store Mm -hmm. in this one scene. She takes them off at a kind of 
perfect moment. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bucko kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, yeah, there's so many great little, uh, it's just a, it's just a really, really great film. And it's a great example of, I mean, all of the people involved at the peak of their career, uh, Edward G. Robinson, uh, was pretty famous for playing gangsters Hmm. in the thirties. Um, he's in, uh, uh, Little Caesar is his big one. Mm. Uh, he has a line: uh, "Is this the end of Rico?" Um, <laughs> and and so he was just known for playing those guys, you know, those hard boiled yeah. bad guys. Yeah, he has that, kind of a gangster looking face. Uh, he does. Yeah. Sounds like one too. But uh, so this is a very this was a departure for him, and it was the first time he had ever uh, been in a movie and not been the main character. Mm, um, he gets uh, pretty high billing Hmm. in the film above the title uh billing even though he is the third person in the roster um and so he was a big star and he was he was known for playing uh those types of roles but him playing ultimately the good guy in the story was Hmm. a little bit different Hmm. um at the time that he's he's significantly shorter than fred mcmurray which is just kind of interesting too that he's like he almost seems Weasley when you first meet him. I'm like, what's, I don't know about this guy. And then he, um, yeah, ends up being the force for good. And, and and again, I think it's a question of like, when do you start rooting for the good guys on this? And and maybe you don't, but it's interesting that it plays with that, um, Mm -hmm. kind of idea. Uh, let's talk about, um, Billy Wilder a little bit. And then I have just a few thoughts on like interesting connections to some of his other movies that I've seen, but he's a pretty big name in, in that period. Right. Huge. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he's one of the most awarded, um, uh, one of the most award- awarded writer directors um, of all time. He uh, won uh, best director um, for uh, uh, the Lost Weekend. Hmm. Um, he also won for the Apartment, and um, I'm trying to think. I think he he won for um, a third movie. See, what is um, it? I'm... He won for the Apartment. He won for. He won director for Some Like It Hot. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, oh, and Sabrina. Or he's nominated. Uh, yes. He was nominated for Sabrina. We did not win. He also did win best writing for uh, Sunset Boulevard because yes, uh, two indeed. categories the adapted went to Mankiewicz and the story and the original uh, story went to um, For All That Eve. I gotcha. For Sunset Boulevard because, you know, there's two writing categories. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he also wrote, though, a lot of great movies even before he started directing and he did like a really fun comedy called Nanachka. Um, he did ball of fire, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, when he was given the opportunity to direct, he actually chose a very non Billy Wilder film or what we would not think of as a Billy Wilder film called the major and the minor, um, which is a Ginger Rogers comedy, which I'm just going to read the IMDb uh, <laughs> description here so you can get an idea of what this is like. A woman disguises herself as a child to save on train fare and is taken in charge by an army man who doesn't notice the truth. <laughs> That's bizarre. <laughs> um, it is, and it's actually quite funny. I've seen it. Uh, you never at any point buy that Ginger Rogers is really 12 years old. <laughs> um but uh, considering she's like 30 or older in the movie, but um, <laughs> it borders on creepy at times. It's really a strange film, but that movie was a very commercial film. 
And so he knew by making this Ginger Rogers comedy to kick things off, he would, you know, make a movie that had that would make a lot of money and he would Mm -hmm. be able to do what he wanted to after that. And Mm -hmm. then he bridged into uh, Double Indemnity not long after that. And he did uh, The Lost Weekend, which was a huge, huge hit. He did a movie called A Foreign Affair, uh, which actually shot in the ruins of Berlin uh, with gene arthur and uh marlene dietrich and uh and then he went into sunset boulevard and ace in the hole he's in a great he did a great movie called stalag 17 um which is uh william holden and it's about uh this um prisoner of uh well again i'll defer to imdb when two escaping american world war ii prisoners are killed they're german POW camp barracks marketeer JJ Sefton, that's uh, William Holden, is suspected of being an informer. Hmm. Um, so it takes place in a prisoner of war camp um, during World War II. It's amazing, seven year itch, uh, hmm. great Marilyn Monroe film. Uh, and he did a wonderful Audrey Hepburn uh, movie called Love in the Afternoon, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, you know, just on and on and on. Hmm. Uh, he's he makes these movies in the sixties and in the fifties and sixties that it's just like hit after hit after hit after hit, hmm. um, and uh, and slows down a little bit after that. But um, uh, all of that, you know, is and before before he did any of that, he of course was already making some really great. Um, he was also already writing some really hmm. um, amazing movies. But he was an immigrant. You know, he wasn't born here in um america he was born uh i'm seeing where he was born because he moved around yeah he was hungry um, maybe is what i'm seeing but it, it has like yeah a he few was different hung- places listed as his birth area yes he was he was an austrian born american filmmaker so he made movies in america but he was born in austria so he was an immigrant on top of all of that which is yeah. just a beautiful story and lived to be 95 so yeah that's really interesting so my impression of him Generally, so generally, the just that he's kind of, um, I don't know, feels modern or sort of ahead of his time in a way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like the gender dynamics of some like it hot, which it's just poking fun at gender construct basically, and um, I, I think has some interesting. Like it's it's pretty um, for some people even today would be kind of too racy or too uh, <laughs> offensive. I think so. And I think that's an interesting thing because it came out in 1959. Um, I, it's a very funny movie and I really like that one. Um, but then the apartment as well, I think um, empathized with the female characters more than anything else I'd seen from this era. I think. With yeah, no, he, it. he makes uh, it, it's, it's funny, you know, he, I, I, I'm thinking here's a person whose English was not his first language and mm-hmm. he writes such amazing English screenplays. Yeah. Um, excuse me. And he, uh, he, um, he moved, I mean, he moved here because of the Nazi party mm-hmm. rising um, in Berlin and then Paris. And then he moved, uh, he was in Paris briefly and then he moved out here. Um, but he, um, he then constructs some really interesting female characters mm. in a time when um, you might not expect that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and even commenting on aging in the way that he does mm-hmm. in Sunset Boulevard and 
And, uh, you know, he also has Sunset Boulevard. You don't think about this, but Sunset Boulevard also has a great secondary female character. Hmm. Um, the girlfriend character yeah, who yeah. is an writer, independent yeah. writer, career woman. Um, and then you have this movie where you have this diabolical mm-hmm. uh, woman. I don't know what that says about his, his, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't yeah. support him having great female characters quite as well, much, yeah. but, um, but you're right. He does have a, she's strong he in does, her own way. I think she is. And, and the, this, uh, the stepdaughter is very virtuous. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's <laughs> and in the apartment, Shirley MacLaine, I think her character, it just shows like the, the, the ways that women are used and abused in wall street specifically. And the mm-hmm. actual effect that that has on people, because you usually just hear the man's side of that story, you know? And I, yeah. That was really striking to me at that. So I, I, anytime I've seen a few things by one director, I was trying to find any kind of parallels. I think with the apartment, one of the things I remember from that is just like the sense of like almost loneliness of like the corporate world, basically. Um, and actually I had been recently watching the show Mad Men when I first saw uh-huh. the apartment. Yeah. And there's a ton of, uh, it's a very similar time period. Like very the time period that similar. It's depicting is like the time period is actually made. Um, and yeah, like the office structure is the same and um, a lot of similar themes there. And I think if you think about Don Draper, he is very similar to Fred McMurray in this, in this film mm-hmm. in, in that you, he's a bit of an anti-hero, I guess that you um, aren't sure that you're always on board with him, but you are fascinated and, and sort of want him to succeed despite yourself. And uh, <laughs> I, that, that was kind yeah, of no, that's, that's a really good comparison. Fred McMurray is so great at that. I mean, he, it's like when praising Barbara Stanwyck, like, let's not neglect Fred McMurray. Yeah. He does a really great job playing this, character right down to the way he narrates the way mm-hmm. he talks yeah. it's it's so perfect for the entire mood of the film um he's uh, i mean it's just like it, it's just it's it's so hard to talk about great movies sometimes because it's just like it's perfect go watch it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah this whole thing we haven't really said anything negative about any of the movies we've been talking about it's because they're some of the best ever made so they're so so good uh, one other just interesting comparison with sunset boulevard was the is the the narrator construct and so in this one and and uh, double indemnity you know from the beginning that something's gone wrong and he's he's confessing and there's recording and that's how you're experiencing the story in sunset boulevard similarly you see the narrator die at the beginning like he gets shot in the back and falls in the pool like the very opening of the movie <laughs> and then it's his thoughts or something telling and you're like is he alive like what's going on you don't really know um, but it, he's narrating it so similarly like doomed narrators which really adds an interesting layer i think to the story in both of those so uh, yeah, yeah for sure and interestingly this is the second movie in a row that we've talked about that has narration yeah um and, you know, Billy Wilder and Joseph Mankiewicz are paralleled in some ways because they had big movies come out in 1950, mm. uh, which were competing against each other. Mm. But both of those films and both of their films in general, um, you know, you have you have narration playing a huge part. And mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a, that's a big thing with uh, with some of those with some of these Billy Wilder films. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah, because both this and um, Sunset Boulevard, and not Some Like It Hot or The Apartment, but yeah. but he did, but he did kind of perfect this uh, often seen device that's used in so many nineteen uh, forties film noirs. Yeah, 
There you go. Yeah. Well, that is Double Indemnity. Definitely, definitely worth watching. Um, rentable online. I had to find it from the library here to, <laughs> to get it for free. But <laughs> it is uh, very, very good and definitely worth watching. Um, that is all for this episode. I wanted to mention really quickly, though, um, Rance has other podcast things he's doing. And one yeah. is The Envelope, Please which uh, I finally listened to, and it's so good. I am like oh, thank addicted you. to it. Um, it's going through Oscar history, and uh, it's just the right amount of educational and funny, and um, they're talking through not just the movies that won Best Picture, but uh, and that on its own is really interesting, but also the movie year and what was happening with the Academy historically. Yeah. Um, so I can't speak highly enough of that. Go listen to The Envelope, please. It's a very, very good podcast. Please do. I would appreciate the... I would appreciate the the downloads, rates, subscribes, all yes, those yes, things. Yes, yes, all of that. Um, um, we're up to, I think, uh, uh, this. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so this, I, uh, I listened to um, uh, it happened one night because we had recently discussed that movie, and mm-hmm. so I was like, I want to hear more about that. But then I loved it so much that I went back to the beginning, and I'm listening through. Yeah, I think when I think that uh, we are uh, about to do. Um, you can't take it with you. So we'll be up to mm. 1938. Right. Um, although we, I had to think about it because we, we recorded ahead. We, yeah. <laughs> we anticipated that we might have problems keeping up if we did this weekly. So we, yeah. we got way ahead first. Um, That's a good so, idea, uh, I should yeah, but <laughs> we, uh, we're watching every single winner of the best picture Academy award and trying to give context because the thing about the Academy that I feel like should be mentioned is that there, there are reasons beyond, the movies why mm. something wins best picture and so it's interesting to look back and see okay what was a huge hit with audiences that year mm-hmm. what um what was something that kind of went under the radar uh what was the critical hit what was the audience hit what was um in what was going on in the world at the time that might have influenced people's taste mm-hmm. you know and because oftentimes something wins best picture and it, you kind of think like huh because yeah. you see, haven't heard of that one, but I have heard haven't of, heard that. Yeah. But then, and then you see another movie was nominated, or no, another movie wasn't even nominated, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, "How did this is clearly the best movie of yeah. this year?" Mm-hmm. You know, like we we've been talking a lot about the apartment. You would think that the apartment's mm-hmm. number one rival in 1960 would be Psycho, mm-hmm. um, but Psycho wasn't even nominated. Wow. You know, and so you have to think about okay, well, why? What wouldn't Psycho be nominated when mm-hmm. it's so clearly better than The Alamo, directed yeah. by John Wayne? <laughs> which one? <laughs> which uh, got a nomination? The wow. Apartment one. Oh, the, the Apartment one. winning That's is right. fine. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Um, although I would, I personally like. I don't know between Psycho and The Apartment. Mm, yeah, that's a tough call. <sighs> um, but I think I go The Apartment, but I love Psycho too. But you also have to think about like what the Academy thinks about horror movies right, and yeah. mm-hmm. and what the Academy thinks about comedies and what mm-hmm. and all those other qualities that that go into it. Double Indemnity was nominated for yeah, Best Picture. I just realized we haven't talked about what it was nominated for. It didn't actually win any, but it was nominated for a picture, uh, for actress in the leading role for Barbara Stanwyck, director, screenplay, and uh, cinematography, sound, and music. Yes, um, all of which are wonderful. Yeah. The, the cinematography, yeah, cinematography is, great. Yeah, there's is incredible great use of shadow and stuff in several scenes yeah um but uh you know 1944 the movie that wins i think most people objectively would say is not nearly as good a movie hmm. as um as double indemnity it's going my way 
but going my way um, was a uplifting story that took place during World War II. Yeah, (laughs) into World War II here, yeah. Very much was the type of film that during World War II Mm. was going to win Best Picture. It's a Bing Crosby Um, movie, yeah. Which sets us up very nicely for next week uh, for another Best Picture Mm -hmm. winner. A movie called The Best Years of Our Lives is what we're talking about next. Mm -hmm. And that film uh, is a great film, but also could not be better. I mean, is very much positioned in a place where its win and its success at the box office makes a lot of sense. Mm, Interesting. Well, I yeah. can't wait to watch that and dig into that. Um, that will be for next time. But I guess we can go ahead and wrap up. Thanks again, Rance. This has been such a fascinating dig into Double Indemnity. This might be, oh, it's hard to say. This might be my favorite. I just I <laughs> love Billy Wilder. Of the ones we've talked about, I love Billy Wilder. And uh, I, I don't know, I like these dark, twisty tales. <laughs> that was really, really good. So <laughs> well, I'll, this next movie is not dark and twisty, yeah. just so you know. It's a change of pace. It, it's, it's different. It, it's dark in places but not mm-hmm. twisty yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> well there you go that's double indemnity thanks for listening and uh, we will catch you next time thanks Rance you're welcome and that will do it for this episode thank you so much for listening and thanks again to Rance for being such a big part of this series if you want to support the show leave a rating or review on the podcast or buy some Art House Garage merch from our website If you want to keep up with the latest Art House Garage podcasts, videos, reviews, etc., check out our website at arthousegarage.com or follow on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow at Arthouse Garage. You can sign up for the email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. And feel free to email me with any comments, questions, or concerns andrew at arthousegarage.com. I hope you'll come back for the next episode in this series on the movie, The Best Years of Our Lives. And until then, keep it snob free.